Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. Our topic this week is dedicated to Andre out of SGU, who wrote me an email requesting an episode on hyperglycemia in DKA a few months ago. Sorry it took me a little bit to get to this, Andre, but this episode's for you. Okay, everybody, this is a 32-year-old male, had a chief complaint of fever, cough, and diffuse abdominal pain, emesis times two, slightly confused on scene, had poor skin turgor, does have a history of type 1 diabetes, has been taking his medication according to the family. Uh, we did give a one-liter bolus initial on scene. He's got a BP of 160 over 90, pulse of 110, respirations are at 40, and our glucose meter only read high. So unless you have any questions, I will, we'll leave you to it. Okay. Thank you. DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. If you only remember one thing today, the sugar doesn't matter. The sugar is not the problem. In fact, the blood sugar is like the least important part of DKA management. In DKA, it's all about the acid and the potassium and the dehydration, not the sugar. To understand the problem with DKA, you need to go all the way back to physiology. It's actually the acid that's important. When cells don't have sugar, if there isn't enough insulin to push the sugar into the cell, the cells make acid for energy instead. And that is when DKA happens. They're an insulin-dependent diabetic without enough insulin to push sugar into the cells so that sugar just is floating around in the blood useless. And because of all of that wasted sugar out in the blood, the cells make acid for energy instead. So there's a ton of sugar in the blood and there's a ton of acid. The sugar causes dehydration and the acid makes the rest of the symptoms. The acid is what causes all of that nausea and abdominal pain and rapid breathing called Kussmaul respirations. That's what's going on in DKA. So let's go through an approach. Step one, you suspect DKA. They're a sick looking insulin dependent diabetic, or maybe it's a kid who hasn't been diagnosed with diabetes yet, but they have vomiting and belly pain and polydipsia, and polyphagia, and polyuria. Test for diabetic ketone acidosis. This is not hard, you guys. It's in the name. Test for diabetes, the blood glucose. Test for ketones in the blood. And test for acidosis. Typically, we get a blood gas. Blood sugar, ketones, pH, diabetic ketoacidosis. Okay, nice. So let's say these tests are kind of becoming abnormal. It's DKA, no insulin yet. You're going to be tempted to give insulin because of that high sugar, but no insulin yet. Remember, the blood sugar matters the least. Step two, you need to measure a potassium. Don't give insulin yet. Why the potassium? Because insulin decreases potassium. 
When you do eventually give them insulin, that insulin pushes potassium into the cells. These patients drop their blood potassium by like a lot and it causes cardiac arrest, which is bad. That is why step two, you check a potassium. You don't give them insulin yet. Step three, you've tested for diabetes, ketones, and acidosis. You have a potassium level. Now give potassium. You actually need to get the potassium level kind of high so that it has room to drop when that insulin starts. The normal potassium level is four. You want to lift it. It has to be at least 3.3 before you start the insulin or you'll kill them. And once you do finally start that insulin way later, you got to keep giving them more potassium because it keeps jumping into the cells with the insulin. Typically, doctors keep putting potassium in each bag of fluid, and then they're still rechecking the potassium to make sure it doesn't go too low. That's how important the potassium is with DKA. But remember, that magic level you have to get them to before you can start insulin is 3.3. Step four, they have DKA, you check their potassium, you're giving potassium, now you give fluids. The biggest reason all of that sugar actually matters is because it's making the patient really, really, really dehydrated. We'll talk about insulin in the next step. I know you want to give insulin here with that high blood sugar, but treat the dehydration first. Hypovolemia is a worse problem than hyperglycemia. These patients need a ton of fluid. Granted, a lot of this is going to be happening at the same time, but academically, the problem is the dehydration, not the hyperglycemia. That's why I'm talking about this step first. Give fluids, lots of fluids, bags and bags of fluids. Then, step five, finally, you can give teeny tiny little drops of insulin in a drip. You can look up the dosing. Don't worry about that. Start an insulin drip. You're not only trying to decrease the blood sugar, which again, isn't that important. That insulin turns off the acid production. And remember, it's the acid that is causing the symptoms of DKA. Giving insulin stops acid and fixes the patient. You just have to do it safely and slowly and at the right time, which is why it's the last step. Test for diabetes, ketones, acidosis. Measure a potassium. Give potassium and keep giving potassium to keep that level higher than 3.3. Start the fluids to fix that dehydration. Then and only then do you start an insulin drip to stop the acid, lower the sugar, and fix the patient. That's how you manage DKA. Now, a quick note on hyperosmotic, hyperglycemic state. This is a little bit different. This is pure hyperglycemia. Hyperglycemia in patients who have insulin. So none of this ketones and this acidosis. The cells have sugar because the patient has insulin. They don't make acids for energy. They don't need to do that. Hyperosmotic hyperglycemic syndrome is just really, really, really high blood sugar. So you get the bad dehydration, 
the same approach, just a little bit different of a physiology. It's not the acids making them sick. The problem is that their blood sugar gets so high. We're talking like a thousand that their blood turns into maple syrup. Not only do they get dehydrated like with DKA, but that syrup actually sludges through their brain causing altered mental status. Again, it's the same basic algorithm, but now the sugar is the problem. The blood is just too sticky. It's just too much sugar. That wraps up this episode. This week's USMLE Step 2 Secrets question is, what are the long-term complications of high blood sugar and diabetes? I'll give you a hint. There's five. Pause. Think it through. All right, here's your answer. Diabetic retinopathy or blindness. Diabetic nephropathy, which is renal failure, elevated creatinine, dialysis, that kind of stuff. Diabetic neuropathy, which is tingling in the arms and the legs. Decreased immunity, so infections and vascular disease of the heart, of the extremities. That's why diabetics get heart attacks and strokes and limb amputations. Retinopathy, nephropathy, neuropathy, vasculopathy, and infection proneopathy, if that's even a word. Please send me an email. Tell a friend about the podcast. And until next time, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.